Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 93 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we're speaking with Patrick Carelci, host of the new iHeartRadio podcast, Red Pilled America. Patrick keeps Andrew Breitbart's spirit alive with every project he touches. His new project, it might be his most important one to date. This week's show is sponsored by Alec Baldwin's PR team, the hardest working folks in show business. Jane Fonda went there this week. The 80-year-old superstar made the Trump-Hitler connection, just like most of her peers. If you've read anything about the rise of the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler, you will see the parallels, she said. Her proof? Trump's attacks on the media. Let's get this out of the way. Today's media is flat-out corrupt, dishonest, hopelessly biased against the GOP. Period. Full stop. It's why Trump's media attacks are so effective. They're hitting the target. What hasn't Trump done? Well, he hasn't shut down any media organizations. He hasn't arrested a single reporter. He hasn't spied on people. He's not attacking the press physically. He's rhetorically saying, hey, quit the fake news. And he's right. But you know, the fact that he's not Hitler and not even hitler light. It's kind of immaterial at this point. Jane Fonda's comments are just too typical of what we hear out of Hollywood these days. You know, it used to be that playing the Hitler card would absolutely get you thrown out of polite society. It meant you couldn't really hang in an intellectual debate. It's still true on paper, but it doesn't seem to be that way in our culture. You know, reporters who cover Hollywood don't respond to all these crazed comments with an eye roll, a shrug, or even a, hey Jane, maybe you want to tone it down? Instead, She's making a political comment instead of saying, oh my gosh, Miss Fonda is off her meds. It also begs another question. Are all these unhinged celebrities hurting their own cause? Hard to say with any certainty, but we'll have to see a bit with the blue wave or lack thereof this week. One little note I found very interesting was Comedy Central. It's a bastion of liberal programming. Of course, they had Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert. Now they've got Trevor Noah, Jim Jeffries, you name it. If it's political, it's leaning hard to the left at Comedy Central. So what did the network did this week? They put out a video mocking celebrity voting PSAs. Gosh, when you've lost Trevor Noah's network. Now, the stars do have a complete advantage over the rest of us. They have large platforms to work with. They're beautiful people, and they know how to deliver a line. They're actors, for crying out loud. That's their skill set. And that's really a potent combination. But they've managed to squander a lot of that advantage with their hateful comments in recent months. Just how much? Well, that's anyone's guess. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. Hey, silly sandwiches with the crust cut off. If you enjoy the HitCast, please give HollywoodInToto.com a look. This week we break down 29 really amazing facts about the Live Aid concert from 1985. Remember, as a kid watching it live, I was a huge U2 fan, so I was particularly interested in how they performed that day. But it turns out Queen really ruled the entire event, a 16-hour concert. My story unveils some really interesting facts from the people who were there, 
it's just a lot of fun stuff. And of course, if you're seeing Bohemian Rhapsody this weekend, that's integral to the movie. It'll make this particular article all the more intriguing to you. So please give it a look at HollywoodInToto.com. Hi, Michelle Malkin here. The Gosnell movie opens on October 12th. Dean Cain and the entire cast do a superb job bringing this true story to the big screen. Healthy woman goes into a clinic, comes out dead, and there's no police report? You might be worried that this movie is too scary. It's not. As a mother of two, I promise you, you can bring your teenage children to see it. Bring friends and family, too. We have a unique opportunity to change hearts and minds about abortion. Don't miss out. Kermit Gosnell is perhaps the most prolific serial killer in American history. Gosnell, rated PG-13. Here's the hit tweet of the week. Confession time. I love Kristen Schaal. She not only voiced Mabel from the great show Gravity Falls, she also makes Louise so memorable on Bob's Burgers. What a great voice artist. And apparently her choice of new sources maybe hasn't been too keen in the last year or so. Here's her attempt at attacking Trump Nation on Twitter. Too bad Trump can't drum up his base by advertising his achievements. Here's how I responded to Kristen on Twitter. Try Googling economy and black unemployment. We'll wait. My hit tip of the week is Daddy's Home 2. I only watched about a third of the first film a year or two ago, and I just assumed the sequel wasn't worth my time. The reviews were bad, the box office I don't think was nearly as strong as the first time around. But you know, when you're on Amazon Prime or some other streaming source and you see a movie you haven't checked out, you just give it a try. You know, what's the worst that could happen? You watch 10 minutes, not very good, you just kind of go off. Well, turns out it was actually pretty good. Mark Wahlberg and Will Farrell are back. They're co-parents to their kids. It's a mixed family, but you know what? They're getting along splendidly. Now, Mark's a tough guy. Will makes Alan Alda look like Fonzie, but they've managed to make it work. But now Christmas is approaching and their fathers are in town and they are mirror images of their sons. John Lithgow and Mel Gibson join the cast in a very good way. The film actually even offers a balanced ideological perspective at times. Now, it's not a political show by any stretch. It's a comedy. But there are riffs on snowflakes. There's a dash of female empowerment that comes out of nowhere. Also, the acknowledgement that, hey, you know what? That so-called toxic masculinity might just do the trick now and again. And the film's ending is kind of a mess. It goes on too long, gets too sappy, just doesn't know when to say quit. But I have to say, adding Lithgow and Gibson to the cast, really smart. The film even tints at a possible extension of the franchise, a spinoff featuring their characters. I gotta say, I'd be on board with that in a heartbeat. Daddy's Home 2 is available right now on Amazon Prime. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. Now let's get to this week's HitCast interview. You know, Andrew Breitbart's gone, but the people he inspired are still with us and trying to change the culture in that grand Breitbart style. Patrick Carolci is a perfect example. He made headlines years ago by exposing President Obama's politically charged NEA activities. He also peeled back the curtain of liberal Hollywood via his Breitbart News Tinseltown travelogue series. If you haven't checked it out, there'll be show notes links there. You really want to hear those podcast notes. Now he's back alongside with his wife, Adriana Cortez, for a Red-Pilled America. 
The new series breaks down issues that speak to modern times from a right-of-center perspective. The show's first few episodes explore why so many black citizens vote for the Democrats and the truth behind Hollywood's Me Too movement. I can't wait to hear him. Patrick's smart, reasonable, and very savvy. So savvy, he knows the power of a well-told story. That's critical right now in the culture wars. Here's my chat with a guy who gets it, Patrick Harelji. Well, Patrick, thank you for joining the HitCast. I was kind of curious. I, I was intrigued by how people start their careers or how they go in a different direction. For you, you've been covering Hollywood for a, for a while, different directions for sure, but how did you get there? How did you kind of find that place? Because it's not an easy, it's not like going to school to become a lawyer. There's a very, often a very circuitous path to get to doing the kind of work that you do. Yeah, um, it's it, there's uh, there's definitely a bit of a story there, but I'll give you the abridged version. I worked in aerospace for about five years. I have a master's in applied physics, and I was a um, I did structural analysis for aerospace military communication satellites. And on the side, I was doing some kind of uh, event stuff. And um, it, I did this one event, and it started taking off. And uh, it was it kind of started this trend in marketing called pop up retail, and it was really a kind of a a big deal at the time in the marketing world. And so I left my my aerospace um, job and career behind, and started doing these events and started doing music events and concerts and and uh, kind of became in Los Angeles like the go to promote promoter for DJ music and live performances and it was kind of a thing and you know we had like the Black Eyed Peas come through and, and artists like that and um, I, I, from there I kind of uh, was in the art world for a while had an advertising business kind of doing these kinds of marketing events and I re there was a, a point where uh, I saw these socialism uh, posters being posted around town of Obama and um, I thought it, you know, there, there, it was it was unique um, because I thought that it, you know, in, in the entire art world was completely uh, ubiquitously behind um, Obama. And I thought, well, here's this one artist that's putting something out there. Well, immediately they start to call the guy a racist, and you know that they were, you know, that this, these white faces on this guy were were. Um, you know, was some kind of a racist thing. And so it was for me, I had kind of had enough with the art community being so, you know, just non-critical of the guy. And so I wrote an article um, in reason.com and uh, I ended up getting contacted by uh, Andrew Breitbart um, and who saw the article. And um, right around that time, I had gotten invited to I had gotten invited to a White House uh, conference call, and so I was talking about it with Andrew, and uh, it, you knew Andrew. He was one of those guys that you almost immediately felt like you were friends with, mm -hmm. and so I started talking with him about this invite to white, the White House, and he said, well, and I thought that it was kind of a fishy uh, meeting. I thought that you know this was uh, something that sounded weird. It sounded like they were kind of trying to use the National Endowment for the Arts as a, as a kind of a tool to, to um, create. Uh, artistic uh, uh, pieces that that could potentially help him in, in his legislative agenda. So 
I wanted to start writing it around that time, or I, I had wanted to start to write for, for probably years before that, and I decided, you know, this is a good topic. I'm going to go to this conference call and, and see if it's something that I can write about. And I went to it, and it was this big conference call. It had a bunch of people on it. It had a bunch of media on it as well, and they actually put that on the invite. So I thought, okay, well, you know, there's there's nothing secret about this. So I recorded the call, and um, afterwards I, I, I kind of realized what they were doing. And what they were trying to do was is they were trying to get the artist to create uh, images and and whatever art form that they were in that uh, that kind of pushed the universal healthcare uh, legislation that he was trying to, to push at the time. So I basically wrote a piece for that, posted it up on uh, with Andrew um, on his kind of at – at that time was little known site mm-hmm. called Breitbart or Big Hollywood. And that was it, and that's kind of how I – how I, I got into writing and, it, and I, um, I, I kind of dabbled in here and there. I still had an advertising business but came back to it occasionally and and now I'm kind of doing it full time. What's interesting about that is you had other people on that call, other media reporters, and no one else sniffed out what you sniffed out. Is that correct? Yeah. No, it was definitely one of those things where – uh, I think that they felt that it was the, the community was so 100% behind this man mm-hmm. that um, it was unthinkable. Uh, kind of like you know Trump winning the 2016 election, it was just unthinkable that there would be somebody in the room that would be against Obama or at least not into um, the, the 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 way that they were trying to use the National Endowment for the Arts. So yeah, it was it was kind of a, it was an interesting thing that I was the only one that spoke out. Is that maybe one of the reasons why you wanted to go in the direction you're going in now? That it, there was a there was sort of a voice that was needed, or even the fact that, hey, why isn't someone else doing this? I why should it fall upon me? And now that it is, I, I need to keep doing it. Was that kind of part of the maybe the motor behind it? You know, there's that there was part that 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 plays a role. I mean, I think that there's very few voices like ours from the art world that um, that are kind of uh, you know have a right of center um, political view. I wasn't even sure at the time that I had a right of center political view. I was I knew that what I was listening to and what I saw them doing was wrong, and I wanted to write about it, but. But what tends to happen um, on in our world is that if if the second that you are seen as uh, or have a hint or a whiff of being uh, not on the on the team, not on the you know on the left's team, you immediately become the other and the enemy, and so you kind of get forced into a corner. And I, I feel like I, I I carried on more of a as a kind of a as a just protecting myself um, because I had been getting I would get attacked uh, so often um, and so I, I you know I think that in in a way the left works against themselves in that regard they could have maybe you know kept me in the fold or at least <laughs> uh, or at least kept me like you know as 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 not as antagonistic um, but I, I think ultimately they they end up kind of polarizing the situation and you have to pick teams and I was on not on their team anymore yeah um, so you know but uh, there's a huge opening on the right for creative content and for film and and for you know things like we're doing with this storytelling podcast and and music and what have you and I, I think the more that there's a media ecosystem to support us and to support um, you know reviews and promotion and what have you the more people will start flooding into into the um, the creative world from a right of centers perspective 
Well, let's jump right into Red Pilled America, your new show. Uh, I, I saw some of the teases. It's finally live now. Uh, maybe give us a, a quick peek at some of the upcoming episodes and, and what drew you to those particular themes. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, the first one we thought it would be best to, and, and that's the one that's live now. We have an episode one and an episode two that we, we launched with. The first episode, we thought it would make sense to do something that kind of gave a backstory as to why Red Pilled America, we even did it. So, um, you know, I'd always been a fan of kind of uh, audio storytelling. I would listen, you know, back in my my liberal days would listen to This American Life or or and, and in particular David Sedaris. I, I loved his kind of storytelling chops and we would – me and my wife would kind of make these uh, storytelling things just for ourselves and our friends um, just kind of you know behind the scenes. We wouldn't publish them really and um, – you know, once I went through this uh, experience with, I, I happened to be in this very um, elite uh, group of people in Hollywood. I was is around these people for some time through um, families and through my daughter's friends. And once the the um, once that basically it came out that I was a Trump supporter. Because I, I initially got invited into this group during the Obama years, and it didn't really matter if you were, you know, maybe had a hint of being Republican around these people at that time, because, um, you know, uh, Obama was in power and all the world was good and right with these people, and. Um, I was also me and my wife are have Mexican descent, and so we were kind of a, a little bit of an accessory to these people because we weren't your standard um, people within this group. I mean, there's you know within certain groups of Hollywood, there are um, when you get into certain kinds of high level groups within Hollywood, you've learned that the diversity. Um, Ethnically, um, aside from just uh, ideologically, ethnically, it's very not diverse. Hmm. And so we became this kind of accessory to these people. And so – but once the Trump campaign happened and people found out that I was associated with, with Trump and that I was associated with Breitbart um, and you know, once Breitbart CEO became campaign manager, I became you – know, we, we, they, they basically went to ostracize us even more so than, than we had a, an issue where we called out this guy for getting in bed with with other people's kids in this group and everybody was kind of behind us at first and then this guy understood how much of a con how much being a conservative was even worse than getting in bed with other people's kids so he started to <laughs> spread that rumor around it wasn't a rumor we were right of center and he started telling everybody that and it, it went from immediately people being behind us for calling this man out for getting in bed with other people's kids to oh my god those guys are nasty conservatives stay away from them so over a couple of years i started to and me and our family started to be marginalized and ostracized by these people and it just kind of went into exponential mode right around the the Trump campaign and so going through that is when we really started to see that these people were not interested in our story here we were in their eyes this diverse group of of this diverse family this family that came from from nothing and now we're here with all these elites and they didn't care about our story and if they didn't care about our story especially people that were trying to protect their families um from at the very least unsafe and dangerous kind of uh uh activity 
Um, if they didn't care about our story, they didn't care about Middle America's story. And so from there, we 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 came up with um, this red pilled America idea to to kind of tell the the stories of Middle Americans, and that's kind of what episode one is about. Yeah, is the, kind whole, of, the whole the whole idea of storytelling, which is obviously kind of in your DNA in a sense, and I think you'll learn from the best Andrew Breitbart. I feel like a lot of conservatives are bad at that, for lack of a better phrase. What? Why do you think that is, and do you see any progress on this front? Because I see snippets of it, but I, you, you're sort of a, an expert in this arena. You know, it is one of those things. I When I first started writing for Andrew and for, for Breitbart, I was not never the kind of 400-word, 500-word punchy um, kind of writer. And I learned pretty quickly that there wasn't a lot of me in – the um on the right where you know or maybe there was but there wasn't a venue or a platform for writing kind of long form pieces and so it took a while to figure out that maybe the best way to do this kind of long form journalism is through and this kind of storytelling is through um an audio format so um but i i really feel like the reason why there's there's not a lot on the right is it takes time. You have to. It takes time to develop it, and you need to be basically hone that. And you need to basically, if you don't come with a trust fund or you don't come with money, you need to be able to support yourself. So I think one of the issues why we don't see a lot more of it on the right is because the infrastructure isn't there in Hollywood to support right of center writers um, to develop them over years. And so in my case, I had been you know, making good money uh, in, in, in the advertising world enough so that I could you know, allow myself in my free time to kind of develop things. But I, I feel like the, the major reason why you don't see a lot more of it is because there's no infrastructure in place and no platform in place. And that's what we're hoping to try to, to change with Red Pilled America is to, is to basically provide a platform not for just us and – and me and my wife, but for for um, others that might want to still tell their own stories and in, in, in this kind of a format. All right. Well, we're talking with Patrick Carolci, co-host of the new iHeartRadio podcast, Red Pilled America. Now, you know, Hollywood has never been more angry, more vocal, more willing to attack literally half its audience. I don't see it coming back to hurt them yet. It's what I've been kind of watching to see happens. I feel like you know, it's been a pretty good year for movies. A lot of people have gone to the movies. Uh, Netflix and chill is a thing, and everyone loves their streaming choices. Do you think that there's going to be a kind of a sizable, quantifiable blowback for all this sort of hate coming at half the country? I, I, I thought it would have happened by now, but I'm not really seeing it in a in a dramatic fashion. What, what's your take there? You know, I what what um, where Hollywood gets hurt the most is in the um, is in the big franchise uh, big tentpole um, uh, franchises pieces for them and I've spoken with people that writers and agents and people in the in the Hollywood about this topic and they don't really care if there's smaller independent films or their small projects get crushed or or, or, or you know from a, a right of center audience not attending what they really care about is whether their superhero movies um, don't get attended. And 
I think in the end of the day, a lot of those are kind of family fun or family fair for for uh, most of Americans. And it's very hard to tell your kid that you're not going to go see the next, uh, you know, uh, Superman or or you know, uh, Avengers, um, even though it's riddled with um, hardcore leftist political activists. Um, I, I think until um, there is other options um you won't see a complete flood now we've seen you know since the early 2000s we've seen a, a decline in ticket sales in 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 in, in seats bought, purchased you know and they just they continue to raise the uh, ticket prices to kind of make up for that difference but you've seen a steady decline since the um at least the mid 2000s um and i i think but now there's so many different options and there's so many different ways to see content and and I do feel like you know people are kind of turning to social media and and maybe getting their kind of fill from from a right leaning perspective um, from memes and from videos and from shows like yours and from CRTV and these other kinds of uh, content pieces out there. But I I really feel like in order for that kind of content to be made, we really have to start making content for our audience because Hollywood's not going to be doing that. They just – they will never do that. Yeah. And um, they, they just don't want to risk their um, – even if they see an opportunity there, capitalistic opportunity there, they are not going to label themselves or brand themselves within the industry as somebody that's friendly to right of center content. Gotcha. So we're – it's on us to make that stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, you know, one of the things I've been reporting on for a while now, both in this podcast and my website and even other uh, publications, is how Hollywood conservatives are discriminated against. It's, I feel like every few weeks there's a new example, a new, a new case. I've done an interview that someone shares something. You see that a lot. And I, I, one of the things, if you bump into someone and, they, and you bring up the topic and they go, oh, come on. Patrick, you're exaggerating. You know, they'll, they'll mention like a Tim Allen, he still works, and a Kelsey Grammer, he still works. What's the one example that you've heard of through the years where you go, you know what, listen to this, and this is an example of what's going on behind the scenes. Is any, are there any cases like that that come to mind or something that sort of Yeah, there is. Um, I can't say his name because <laughs> I he's – I going to say that. I, I wish <laughs> I could. I, I, I wish I could because <laughs> it's someone that we all kind of know and respect. Right. And it's someone that's actually even known as a right of center talent, um, but he was up for a, 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 a series, a cable series that they um, they were hi- going to hire him for, but they might not have even. He was not. He was concerned as to whether they were going to use his name, so he was willing to work on the project and not have his name included in the series and i thought man this is that's the hollywood blacklist all over again Mm -hmm. here's a guy who basically is a very well-known um person in hollywood that has been working in this business for a very long time incredibly respected that can't even use his name like he's a communist in the Mm -hmm. 50s that can't use his name associated with this it was for me, it was very telling because this was not somebody that I thought would not want to tell that story, and they don't because they're concerned. I mean we're in a time right now, this Trump era, where it is much worse than even the the Bush time frame from every, everyone that I've spoken to um, on this topic. It's, it's a much worse time for them, and so 
you know, they, they, in order for them to keep, you know, feeding and feeding their family and pay their bills, they, uh, they have to hide even their credit associated with yeah. a, with a show. So that was one thing that, that was just relatively recently that I, that I heard about that really stood out to me. Yeah. I hear it all the time. And there are names that I know that I don't share because they ask me, please don't share them. And just, I always mention this as, as my ultimate example, when conservatives in Hollywood want to get together and meet there, they go under the cloak of darkness. It's called Friends of Abe, which is a group that may not even exist anymore. When liberals want to do it, it's all over Deadline.com and, and you know all the different outlets saying how you know what they ate at dinner and how they raised money and whose home it was. I think that really speaks volumes. I want to switch gears. This is the question I always get from people when the subject of Hollywood and culture and entertainment comes up is what do we do? How do we fight back? Now, I know you're doing it with, with Red Hilt America, and I try to do it with, with this podcast and my website. But you know, not everyone has the time to start a podcast or make a website or write stories. And not everyone is an artist who can you know, share their vision and, and, and tell stories from their point of view. How can they help? I mean, how could ordinary red state Americans be a factor in this fight when they don't have the typical weapons at their disposal? To patronize, you know, or not patronize, uh, to, to be a patron of of these art artists that are doing this stuff, you know, um, to go and and watch their shows, share their shows, be a viewer, be an audience member, um, you know, share it through your Facebook accounts, um, share it through any social media that you might have, tell friends. Um, the more that these kinds of projects are supported the more that people are following your podcasts the more that people are are buying tickets to your gosnell movie um the more this kind of of content can be created and it's just as simple as that i mean i, I feel like um it, it's out there. there there are people out there that can and are creating things they just need an audience that um, will help them along because it's not like you know the 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 left of center world where they have a full infrastructure in place. Uh, the right doesn't have that, and so for now, the best thing that they can do is to share, to talk, to use word of mouth, to 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 be an audience member in that standpoint. Um, I think that's probably the best uh, mm -hmm. best way to, to to impact it. I have one final question. It's a long one, and uh, I don't know if there's a positive answer, but you've had your family come up against people on the left, people in Hollywood, and you've been treated badly, and you've talked about that uh, at your uh, podcast that's been uh, aired on Breitbart News, and I'll link to that in the show notes page so people can give it, a, give it a listen. It's pretty amazing stuff. And you've seen what's going on, and you look at the headlines, and you hear about Kavanaugh and how Hollywood is going to come down on him and all the thing that's going on. Is, is there a part of you, and maybe just a, a sliver, a, a thumb or a pinky toe, that's optimistic, that sort of what we're seeing from the hard left in Hollywood, that there's a softening, a, a sense that it, things will get better, minds maybe will be more open, or is it just sort of we're in a downturn right now and we haven't hit bottom yet? You know, I, I, I do think it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. Um, but I am optimistic in uh, things uh, becoming less polarized. I do feel like um, uh, it, it is, in my opinion, the media and Hollywood's fault as to why we are in this kind of polarized position right now. Because they have been telling so many people for so long that there is no way that this man 
could be um, elected president. And when that when that happened, it was such a shell shock. I remember walking on to my daughter's school campus that's almost ubiquitous. I mean, I, I, 99.999 percent um, hard left liberals. And um, it was like I was going to uh, the wake of a, of a death. And I think in it's going to take some time for people, for a few brave people in both media and in Hollywood to start seeing like, you know what, this can't continue. Um, I don't think that we're close to that yet, but I think that we will get there at some point um, because we are – and I think what will start to change that is the ecosystems that the right is making for itself. It's mm-hmm. There's media out there. There's more content that's happening. And the more that that is kind of starts to, to, to grow and flourish, I think we'll start to normalize things. But I do think that we're some time away from that. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think the Tom Hanks who – by and large, has been pretty, I don't want to say neutral, he's certainly a left-of-center fellow, but as far as his public comments, he's not been nearly as divisive. If he went on some event, some stage, some talk show and said, hey, stop, all right, and made like this really smart, impassioned speech, maybe that would have the, it would start something, but I don't think we're there yet. I don't expect it, that to happen. But. It would It would definitely take somebody on the on the level of Tom Hanks yes. to kind of, uh, that might have a little bit more of shields than, than Tom. He's, uh, you know, a, a rich, you know, white man. <laughs> so maybe that, he wouldn't be the perfect uh, uh, person, but there's others out there. Um, and, but if he came on board, geez, can you imagine? I mean, he's so well-respected in, in pop culture that I think it would make a big, big, uh, big difference. Yeah, reminds me a little bit of uh, Jerry Seinfeld talking about the college campuses and the PC culture. 100%. Yeah, it had sort of a stirring effect. But uh, Well, thank you, Patrick, for joining the HitCast. Make sure you listen to his new iHeartRadio podcast, Red-Pilled America, co-hosted by his blushing bride, Adriana Cortez. So I love the fact you guys are working together and telling these stories, and I'm looking forward to hearing more of them. And uh, I just love what, the work you do. I follow you all the time. And if you're not following Patrick uh, across media, you're doing something wrong. So thank you, Patrick. And I wish you all the best with the new show. Thanks for having me. And it's an honor to be on the show. I've been a fan for, for some time now. So I really appreciate you having me. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans. Or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. 
I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.